correctly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. radiocom Welcome to Me and Steve Talk RPGs, a podcast where me and my friend Steve try and help you get the most out of your role-playing game experience. Welcome back to Me and Steve Talk RPGs. I'm here with my friend Steve. Hello, Steve. And this week we're going to do some hot takes, but before that, we have a podcast where in this case, not a podcast, it's the blog of the week. (laughs) <laughs> yes. And that is the D20 Radio Network blog. Yeah, which it's it's up on, you know, it's the actually the kind of the homepage for the D20 Radio Network. It's it's actually, I don't know, there's four or five different people that write for it. And it's all sorts of, as GM Chris would say, gaming and geekery goodness. I mean, I'm looking at it right now. Now, obviously, this won't be what's up there when y'all hear this. But, I mean, there's a thing about psychic gray oozes. There's some stuff about Magic the Gathering. There's stuff about just assorted cyberpunk RPGs as a genre. There's Star Trek, there's Star Wars, mm-hmm. you know, there's D&D, there's all sorts of crazy stuff. Yeah, and there's a guest on the podcast, Egg Embry. Yeah. Very good contributor there, and mm-hmm. yeah, good stuff on the blog. Yeah, Wayne Basta. Uh, oh, man, Wayne. Whitson. Yeah. Tim Branson, you know, there's a bunch of different people, Garrett Crow, Ben Erickson. So uh, you get stuff there, pretty much every day if not more than one article a day so yeah well uh, so for this week we were sort of on the fence about what to talk about and i'd put up in the discord asking the lovely folks in our discord if they'd be interested in it and they said yes so well they listen is, to us what do they know well I don't know. <laughs> but it's uh it's our hot takes so Hot take Where soup. do you want to kick things off at, Steve? How hot do we want to go right off the top? Well, okay, here, let's kick it off with the what you mentioned. This kind of what spurred you into this was like the... Oh, no. Kickstarters and the special editions and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, Love me some Free League, but man, I could care less about Blade Runner. Well, and see, I'm going to guess you're in the same boat that I am and that because we're both big fans of cyberpunk as a genre, it kind of feels wrong that I just don't care about the Blade Runner RPG that much. Yeah. Kind of also simultaneously, that's not my beef with it, but (laughs) well, okay. So shall I bring up what I think is your elephant in the room? Go for it. If it is, I'll tell you. Yes. If not, I'll tell you what it is. I think free league. How do I want to say this? I I, I don't want to say they're abusing Kickstarter because they're doing everything within the rules. I've backed Kickstarters from them. They put out great products, but they're using it as a pre-sale tool. And well, yes, I'm sure they're, they are raising funds with it that are, you know, going to stretch goals, etc. They're not, they're not who Kickstarter was built for. And to a certain point, it bugs me a little bit because I look at some of the stuff and go, well, it'd be neat to have this thing or that thing. But man, there's these, you know, three other indie games or small, you know, real small press stuff that I'd really rather throw money towards than Free League, who, because of their size and distribution, I know I can go get that game later 
relatively easily. Yeah, and and I sort of expressed this to you when when we were talking about it originally. You were like, "Oh, hey, did you hear about the Blade Runner Kickstarter?" And I was like, "Yeah, I don't care." <laughs> I get it. I understand. You want to go to Kickstarter to see if you should even bother trying to produce the extra content for it. But let me just say this. Free League already like like they didn't know that game was going to be huge. Mm-hmm. Already had it funded, already had it sold. It was made basically. That game is is out the door ready. And yet they still went to Kickstarter and that irks me because to me Kickstarter is the place where you go when you need to finish up or you need to make sure that you have enough interest in a game, right? Fair. Yeah. Like, I understand if Freely went to Kickstarter with some brand new IP, really obscure project and was like, is anybody interested in this and how many copies should we print? Mm -hmm. That I get. I don't have a problem with that. It's Blade Runner. It is literally one of the most popular franchises of all time, if you want to call it a franchise. It's one of the best cyberpunk movies ever made. You know it's sold. It's gone. It's, there's no questions, ifs, ands, or buts about it. It's already sold. You've already made the game. You don't need to go to Kickstarter. They went to Kickstarter to drum up publicity, which is exactly what it's done, because it's gone gangbuster numbers, and it's just irritating. Yeah, well, and and I think part of the problem is, is that something like this is kind of like Critical Role, where it's, oh, well, you know, you go to like people who aren't experienced with tabletop RPG Kickstarters are going to back this and then going to go and look at a bunch of indie games and be like, well, aren't you like Free League when they back, you know, when they put out, isn't it like mostly ready? Isn't it already built? Well, I don't even know so much that, but like, okay, just as an example, as we're recording, they're not quite wrapped up, but the, the guys over fragging unicorns, their, Mm -hmm. their Kickstarter for, um, misspent youth, they funded, but not much beyond that. And it's not that it's not a great game. It has a proven track record. You know, their revision of it is going to be a little different, but can't wait to play that game. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Right. But like, okay. If you go to Kickstarter and you look at, you know, the free league stuff versus fragging unicorns, and I'm not necessarily talking about the presentation, but like, okay, you know, I think basically to get physical stuff with the free league when you're at 75 or a hundred bucks, that's basically the all in deluxe everything price for the misspent youth one, which gets you a hard cover and two soft covers, I think. And, you know, and I don't want to say that free league is, taking money from from the people at fracking unicorns but at the same point you know i think i don't want to say they're abusing the platform but in a way they are but see then where do you like okay and i'll just say you know for me this month i've dropped a bunch of money i threw a bunch of money at kickstarter this month (laughs) i backed the um the new cyberpunk game from the people that did city of mist i backed the fracking unicorns game and then I backed Old Gods of Appalachia, which is from, well, the Kickstarter's being run by Monty Cook, who's actually doing the gamification of it, but, you know, all the material comes from the Old Gods of Appalachia podcast. Right. So, you know, is, you know, like, okay, the Old Gods of Monty Cook, when they do a Kickstarter, everyone knows it's going to, you know, go big numbers, whatever. That's just how they do it. But they don't seem to do it with the frequency that Free League does. 
And the other thing is, is that, and how do I put this? Yes, it's Monty Cook games, and yes, we know it's going to sell, but Old Gods of Appalachia needs a little bit of publicity. Yeah. And to just dump it out there, it's not enough. But like I said, Blade Runner does not need publicity. (laughs) My dad, who does not play RPGs, if I walk up to him tomorrow and said, hey, dad, did you know that they're making a Blade Runner game? He'll be like, oh, sweet. Not that he'll play it, but he would be he knows the property. He knows what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I walk up to him tomorrow and go, Hey dad, do you know that they're making an old gods of Appalachia game? He'll be like, what is that? And what is a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. And the, 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 the one I backed from free league was their reboot of twilight 2000, which again, I understand that because it's, yeah, it's a reboot of an RPG franchise. I don't necessarily have a problem with that. My major issue is it's this and like not so much when it was happening, but yeah, I, I over time have sort of soured on taste of it. Like the Avatar RPG. See, I'm going to say this and, and I'm basing this completely on on speculation. Well, not maybe not completely, but largely on speculation. Free League at this point, I'm going to guess is one of the five biggest RPG publishers out there. Watsi, yeah. Paizo, Chaosium, Modifius, and Free League are probably the top five. Yeah, and I would even argue that Modifius and Free League are in contention for number four and number five spot. Well, like I said, I, I, I'm in no particular order. No. You know, but, but those are yeah, well, probably the top five. Yeah. You know, Monty Cook's decent sized, but they're not in that that thing. Now, with Avatar, it's Magpie. I think the biggest title they've put out to this point, other than it was probably Masks, A New Generation. Yeah, that's true. That's you true. Know, it is. So in their case, yeah, no, they're not a, a brand new upstart company. But at the same point, I'm willing to bet that they they knew it was going to go big. They didn't know it was going to go that big. Yeah, I, I would put some some weight behind that i would say they knew it was going to be big they didn't know it was going to be the absolute juggernaut that it became but i don't know it's just okay i'll give you that but stuff like i said like blade runner is a really good example of this um there was something else that was kickstarted that i was like why is this kickstarted boy i can't remember it was another big ip game and i I mean there was one ring that was not Free League's last Kickstarter, but it, it was their last humongous one. Yeah, like the One Ring didn't need Kickstarted. That's another. Like I said, I think Free League's just pushing their luck with this. I, I think they're they're gonna get to a point where they're gonna kickstart another big IP, and the community as a whole is gonna go. I I don't care Free League. I'm just gonna buy it, and then the Kickstarter is gonna fail. And they're going to boohoo about how the game's not going to sell properly. I don't see them not funding because they're setting arbitrarily low numbers also. Like, yes, they're, but they're funding in a matter of minutes. I think they would. I think it'll fund, but I don't think it's going to hit. Like, I, don't, I, I can't say this with any certainty, but it would fund. And then they don't hit any of their major stretch goals that they were hoping to hit. And then they're going to boohoo about, oh, well, we would have given you more, but... It didn't fund on Kickstarter or it didn't, you know, we didn't reach the stretch goals we wanted to reach, which makes no sense to me anyways, because I hate it when, and and I I know this is going to sound like a really weird gripe, but it's my hot take. I hate it when a book comes out 
and there's already 16 million supplements for it. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so now I'm, I'm getting the core rule book and trying to learn that. And then maybe if I get to play that a little bit, I'm going to try and get into that supplemental material. And then you're still releasing more stuff and I just can't stay on top of it. That's a really fast way to get me to bounce out of a system <laughs> is just to get so far behind in supplemental, like especially not necessarily like adventure books, but companion books will really bounce me hard out of a system. Mm -hmm. Like that's where I really give Artel a lot of credit. Cyberpunk Red came out. It had half a supplemental book and that was just like a little bit of this and a little bit of that and how to convert some of the stuff from 2020 over into red. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't overwhelming. Yeah. They didn't like, they didn't put, um, well, they put out what one paid supplement so far in the, eh, let's call it a year and a half. Yeah. It's 50 cents, but they've also been putting out almost monthly free DLC content and not all of it's anything spectacular, but it's still, it's there, you know, they're still releasing stuff for the game. Yeah. Yeah. Free is good. Yeah. Well, and I think, I think part of what Free League plays on though with the Kickstarters is like you were saying, there's that fear of missing out on, on some of the stretch goals and whatnot. And then there's, and I know this is where I thought we were going with this initially was the special edition stuff. Yes. So that's the other thing is that I believe that if you want a really fancy special edition, they should just put out a fancy special edition. There should be no need for a Kickstarter. Cause that's the other thing is that like the argument I've heard, not necessarily from our discord, but from other places has been, Oh, well, but they're using it so that they can put out the really nice special edition. Well, then they should just put, list a really nice special edition. And if people want to buy it, they'll buy it. And if they don't, they don't using Kickstarter is not a good enough justification for that. Well, okay. First, let me say I am not a special edition book person. I own, actually, I do own two special edition RPG books. One of those is my black and silver hardcover riffs book from 1996, mm -hmm. which at the time was the only hardcover edition of the book available. I didn't buy it because I wanted a collector's edition. I bought it because I wanted a hardcover. Okay. The other one I have is the special edition of the spy game, which I got because to get the package I wanted with, you know, like GM screen and so on and so forth, that was the edition of the book that came with it in the Kickstarter. I would just have been actually in some ways happier to have the regular cover as opposed to the special edition one, but that wasn't how it came. I wasn't buying another one, but I will say this, that when black cats who did spy game put out, did their Kickstarter for, um, Cursed Captains of Cthulhu, they did have another, what do you want to say, special edition that you got mm -hmm. with this, that, whatever. But what they also did is they had, I want to say, three or four one-off special editions. Like, you, when you pledged for this, and they were stupid expensive, you got that book. You were the only person that got that version of that book with, you know, these really special covers and whatnot. I get that, like where you're, you're really, what do you want to say? Making a, a really special piece, you know, mm -hmm. to a certain point anyway. Again, though, there, that's, you're talking Cursed Captains was their second major project. Yeah. And the other thing I'll say with that is they could have easily done that as 
make a limited number of them and put them out as like limited run, you know, Mm -hmm. like they, they, I understand why they used the Kickstarter for that. That's a good place for them to put that there. But in the case of like, we were talking about freely, if they were doing that exact thing, traditionally what you would do is you would just make a number of them, Mm -hmm. probably a small number, like in the less than a hundred number and put them up as a separate listing and go, Hey, these are going live. You have however long once they're sold out, they're sold out and that's it. Mm. But that's not what free league did. And that's why I'm like, because what they did is they put up, Oh, well, if you back this much, you get the special edition and it's like, well, okay, great. But you didn't have to do that. That was not necessary for you. They're using Kickstarter, and and I'm not saying this definitively. Again, this is just a hot take of mine, but they're using Kickstarter as a way to get basically paid publicity, meaning that they're not paying for it. They're getting paid to advertise their game. Yeah, I, I see where you're coming from. And I just, not that it's a bad thing or that I'm saying that they're doing anything wrong. I don't know. I just don't care for it. I think it's a little bit, It's a little bit on the gross side of things. You know what I mean? Kind of, yeah. Like, if Watsy did this, we would all be like, boo, boo, hiss. You know? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's because it's Watsy. Well, yeah, it's Watsy, it's Hasbro, it's Disney, it's, you know. (sighs) Speaking of Hasbro and Disney, you want to get into the other hot take we have, Steve? Sure. Go ahead. That Marvel game, huh? Uh, yeah, I didn't read as much of it as you did, but I did uh, get to read some of it, and I don't get it. I really don't. <laughs> We've said and quantified before that we're not experts when it comes to playing RPGs. Mm-hmm. And that's still true to a point. Uh, you've probably heard the quote about if you do something for 10,000 hours, you become an expert. Have you ever heard that? I don't know if I've heard that specifically, but it seems like a thing that someone would have said. Uh, Let me look. It doesn't matter. We have spent a lot of time thinking and talking about our BGs, though. Exactly. And I'm not saying that we've spent that amount of time doing it, but I'm saying that we've spent enough time to be able to tell what a good game is and what a bad game is, or at least a game we don't like. I can tell you that, in my opinion, this is a bad game. And I would love to hear somebody who likes it to come on and not even necessarily come on the podcast, just come in the discord and please tell me why it's not. And and that's not me being pedantic or rude. That's me literally wanting to know what you like about this system. That's fair. And, and also now do we have a great big, huge sample size? No, but we've had conversations with several people who have been around RPGs for a long time who play a variety of systems, have played a variety of systems, and we all seem to kind of come to the same conclusion of, man, this is freaking weird. Like, and not in a good way. No. And then in interviews, they're talking about going after the D&D market, which is incredibly frustrating because, so let's explain a little bit of the system. They call it the 616 system. Mm-hmm. It is 3D6 with the middle one being what? The one is filed off and it counts as another six. It's got the Marvel logo on it. You know, one of the die, it, when you buy them, you know, with the game, essentially to play this, you need two D6s that look the same and one that looks different. Or Right. 
you need one die to be differentiated from the other two. On that die, the one counts as a six unless both other dice also come up once. <laughs> so that's going to do some funky stuff to your probability bell curve. But, eh, you know, okay. I get that. I'll give you that funky little thematic dice mechanics. Yeah, and it, and it, fine. it's fine. It's, I get Everybody's got to have a different dice mechanic. It's fine. It's it's not like we could just, you know, have a half decent dice mechanic that exists in a D100 or anything. But <laughs> well, and I can even respect wanting to go to a 3D6 because of the bell curve and what it lets you, you know, do around probabilities. Except when you add in the fact of okay, then they have their modifiers. Yeah. And this is I, I'm going from memory here. I haven't looked at the document in a while, but we're talking modifiers that are in like the plus 45 plus 17. So what you're doing is you're taking a 3d six and you're going, Ooh, my bell curve. And then you're throwing it out the window for a D 100. Well, no, not even that you're, you're, you're making your role irrelevant. Yeah. Because you're, you're pushing your numbers to where your variance is proportionally minimal to where your actual role has very little impact. Now, if you're doing that because you want things to be dependable, okay, I can, I can buy that argument. My biggest gripe, okay, there, there's things about the design that I don't like from a modern design perspective. One of them being that it's lots of modifiers, which is not a problem for everybody. Okay, let me let me say this. Lots of modifiers makes for a crunchy game mm -hmm. and people like crunchy games. That's fine. People still play shadow run, but I'm just going to say that in 2022, putting out a new system and making it that crunchy is a little bit. It's a bold move. I yeah, think. it's a bold move. Cotton. Let's see if it plays out. <sighs> I think my biggest fear, and I'll just say this, even though we haven't gotten through all of the why yet is <laughs> that you're going to get people picking up this game as their gateway into RPGs and getting burnt on the hobby. Yep. Putting it down immediately. And the problem that I have is that, and, and I, I don't mean this to be rude, but this is Marvel comics. This should be the, this should be a game for all ages. And I couldn't theoretically run this game for, I couldn't run this game for like, 10 year old no. i'd have a hard time the 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 math is is classing it out of yeah them yeah I, I i mean maybe early teenagers but like a group of 10 year olds no i couldn't run this game for them i i would have a hard time running this game for yeah depending on your mathematics level even people that are you know like myself who are math adverse Mm -hmm. I would have a hard time personally if I was getting into RPGs and somebody sat me down and was like, here's how the system works. Here's the math. Um, do your thing. I would probably burn out pretty hard because I could see this just being an absolute nightmare of a just a nightmare of a system trying to figure out, trying to wrap your head around. And then on top of all of that, trying to figure out how to role play. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. And, and here's the thing again. Crunchy systems are not in vogue right now. That doesn't mean they're bad. No, I'm not going to rip on the game just for being crunchy, but no, there's some things that, that really 
make me scratch my head and to me make the game much less playable at the table. One of those is is that your ability modifiers, we'll call them for to use common terms. In other words, you know, your strength modifier, your whatever you know, I don't remember what all the, the attributes are called and you know, they're cleverly renamed so they spell out Marvel and you know, so it's might or whatever. It's it's stats, ability modifier well, not stats, ability modifiers or yeah. Right, which is what you use to add onto your roles are not they vary based on your we'll call it archetype or class. So if you're playing a speedster and I'm playing and I'm playing the Hulk. Mm-hmm. And just just humor me here because I know that what I'm going to say is kind of ridiculous, but let's say that our might score is the same. But because right. you're playing a speedster and I'm playing a brute and we both have a, a, a might score of, I don't know, 14, we'll call it, just to make up numbers. Your modifier is going to be one thing. My modifier is going to be something different. Yeah. That, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. <laughs> that makes the game so much harder to learn, so much harder to play, so much harder to help someone learn to play. Because for whatever people want to say about D&D and ability modifiers and why you don't just have the modifier instead of the score because no one ever uses a score for a darn thing, you know what I'm saying? Yes. But we all know that a 12 is a plus 2. Mm-hmm. You know, a 14 is a plus, or yeah, a 12 is a plus 1, 14 is a plus 2. You know, but, you know what I'm saying? Right. Okay. We all know that regardless of whether you're playing a wizard or a barbarian or whatever, we all know that those modifiers are based off of the number. That's it. Now that you're going to say that, well, if you're a a speedster, then a 14 gives you a plus seven in in this attribute. But in this other attribute, maybe a 14 gives you a a plus 10. Yeah, because they're not uniform across the board. It just it hurts your brain. Yeah. I understand why they did that. I, I, I get the logic behind it. I don't agree with it. The logic behind it is so that they could make balancing. Easy. But there's got to be a better way to do it than something that makes the game harder to understand. Like to me that this is, it, it feels like an exercise in how complex can I make the game? Not how can I make a game that works and okay, it's complex. All right, I got a couple things to say. I'm gonna, I'm just going to start throwing them out here. You ready? Okay. First off, I'm really irritated. All of Marvel Comics is owned by Disney, the Mouse House. Mm-hmm. The Mouse owns Hasbro. Mm-hmm. Hasbro is the parent company of Watsy. Mm-hmm. How do you have an entire company whose job it is to make tabletop RPGs whether it be Dungeons and Dragons or not, and not go, hey, Watsy, make this. Um, because I would even be, and and I said this to you, and you were like, yeah, we would gripe, but I would be happier. I would have been happier to see this come out in 5e than the state it's in currently. Yeah, I think, in all honesty, a retooled 5e could do supers rather well, because... Heroic fantasy, yeah. You're making fantasy heroes already. Well, yeah, you're already making heroic characters. I I yeah. don't get it. I I don't get why they felt. I, the only thing I can think is that it's it's contractual obligations prior to the acquisition of Hasbro and Watsy. Mm, I don't even think that because if you look at 
all the games that Renegade just came out with, which are all Hasbro properties. So that's taking it even a step lower. These are Hasbro properties that they're sending out to Renegade Game Studios as opposed to sending over to Watsy. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't understand why they're like they are. I agree. They're Hasbro properties that they sent over to Renegade. I guess I need to talk to somebody who's in the industry that understands IP better than I do. But at the same time, I just don't get why you wouldn't just go, well, you know what? I understand that you're working on this project, but you can partner with Watsi and work on it as well. And they can help because they have the resources. If you took one sixteenth of the manpower off of D&D and put it on this, you would have a better game. I don't think you're wrong necessarily. And I haven't even gotten to my big gripe with it yet. <laughs> Is it? Is it the author? Because I can get no. into that too. No, <laughs> I no. My biggest thing is the target numbers. Oh yeah, that's the other thing. You go off on that because that's a that's a whole thing. Okay, again, target numbers because of the way the rest of the system they're going to be ridiculous because you've got ridiculous modifiers, so you have to have ridiculous target numbers. At some point, you're just putting a bunch of big numbers on a page because you want bigger numbers than smaller numbers. But my my grumble, gripe, whatever, is that the difficulty of an action varies based on the level of the person performing the action and not in the, if you're a higher higher level, it gets easier, like, say, with D&D, where your proficiency modifier goes up, and so things become easier. No. If you're a, a level five something in this Marvel, according to the playtest document, your target number is, I'm going to just, again, I'm making up numbers, but it's 37. If you're level six, it's 39. If you're level seven, it's 42. Huh? Like, it, it looks like we're stacking level modifiers, and then to compensate for the level modifiers, we're now raising the difficulty. Well, then just don't make the level modifiers as big, and then you don't have to add to your other thing. You're just adding numbers to have more numbers. The only thing I could think is that they were planning on putting in a section that basically says... If this is an arbitrary task, don't do it. Like, is it as GM advice? Yes, but that still doesn't excuse because here again, now you're making this a game that, unless it is the only game you play and you commit the entire rule book to memory, you're going to have to run it with the screen, with cheat sheets, with whatever with you at the table, which is fine. I personally, I love running with a GM screen. I, I, I love having them. More stuff to sell. But. <laughs> I'm very cynical about this game. Normally, I'm not cynical about games, but I, I look at this one as like a major cash grab. This is more stuff to sell. Well, the fact that they're selling the playtest doc. Yeah, we can sell them the playtest doc. We can sell them the GM screen. We can sell them the core book. We can sell them the player handbook. We can sell them player supplements. We can sell them binders, folders. I wouldn't be shocked if the character sheets are, are you have to pay for them. If you have to pay for the character sheets, they can go sit on a cactus somewhere. I would not be shocked one iota if that book comes out and does not have a character sheet or at least has a like half filled in one and doesn't have a blank character sheet. And then it's like, oh, you can order the character sheet. Or if you buy the bundle, you get a stack of character sheets. And I don't think it'll be much. I think it'll be like a dollar or two, but I, I wouldn't be shocked if that game comes out and you have to pay for the characters. Look, I understand indie publishers. Like we talked to Brett and Phil, and I understand the cost that goes into actually making a character sheet. I get it. I'm working on one myself. But let's brass tacks is that it's Disney. You know, 
the brass tacks is that that company can spare a dollar to make a million. Yeah. I, I don't know. There, there's a lot of stuff in that design that I do not understand simply from looking at it with an eye towards design and, and playing it. There is design mentality in that game that I haven't seen in 10 years. Like modern games aren't made like this. Mm -hmm. Like we were talking about how crunchy they are and how crunchy it is. And yes, there are games that come out today that are still crunchy, but not in this particular way. Well, I mean, like Warhammer 4th Edition is very crunchy, but you're also selling to the Warhammer crowd. But the most recent edition of Warhammer is Wrath and Glory, isn't it? No, that's 40K. No, that's 40K. Yeah, the most recent edition is 4th. Yeah. But you're selling to the Warhammer crowd, which is used to crunch. That's like saying exactly. that the new edition of Shadowrun is crunchy. Well, yeah, of course. I would expect nothing less. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's a conscious choice because... That's what the, uh, that type of crunch is what the audience wants. In, and in, so in this the, is, yeah. Yeah. In this case, you're, you're, and okay, let's say just if you want to make this argument, Mutes and Masterminds is pretty crunchy. On the front end. But it's crunch with a point and to, I've not really read the rules, but it doesn't, it doesn't have the modifiers mean different things. I can say this, I've actually read the rules for Mutants and Masterminds, and yeah, it's crunchy on the front end. When you're making characters, when you're doing session prep, it's crunchy. At the table, we played it. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not, it doesn't feel crunchy at all. Once everything's laid out, it's not crunchy to the player. Especially if no. you hand them a character sheet and go, here, play this. Now, if I were yeah. to hand somebody a, a character sheet for the Marvel game, I would be like, um, there's a bunch of things I have to explain. Mm -hmm. And look, you know, I, I will say, you know, our experience with mutants and masterminds is probably the best experience you could get. In. We, we were lucky because we played with Alex who in between the time that we asked him if he would come run it. And when he got to come run it, he got hired by green run it. He knows, yeah. knew the system frontwards, backwards, sideways, everything. So yes, we were playing with someone who was very experienced at the same point. He's doing, he ran that game with the four of us. None of us had ever played the system before. Most of us had minimal to no experience with roll 20 on which we were playing. And yeah. We, we had all played games for years. Yeah. But, but not that one. Exactly. And I just could not imagine the nightmare that is playing this for an absolutely new player. And the only thing I can, the only thing I can really hope is that there is another rule set that we have not seen yet, that this is like, this is rule set A, and then there's also rule set B. When did that release? What was the date? Oh, uh, I don't know. I don't remember. It was sometime in April, wasn't it? I believe so. I'm just wondering if it was some sort of bizarre April, April Fool's, Fool's joke. joke. Um, I doubt it. April 19th was when it dropped. Okay. So I doubt that. That's a little far from April 1st. Yeah. Yeah, I would say that. I mean, I don't know. Like, I I just, like, the thing is, my take reading it, your take reading it, takes of other people whose opinions I value and respect reading it. I don't understand how it got released because I would think, regardless if, and just, 
I'm going to use the name, not that I think he's the be all end all, whatever. Regardless of you had Gary Gygax himself go over it, you know, or someone who would be considered, you know, the a supreme authority on RPGs. If that's who you had write it, why would you not have, again, it's Disney. They have the money to do focus groups, et cetera. You know, how do you not put this in front of some people before you put it out as a product? You know what I'm saying? I, I, I have no idea. No clue. Does that, does that make any sense? It does to me. At least what I'm saying, you know, not the. I'm I, just looking something up. Sorry. No. And, and, and look, you know, the, the writer has a lot of credits. A lot of his, his writing is RPG connected. He's written a lot of RPG connected fiction has, but he has credits going back into second edition D and D. So he's not new to the RPG scene. And look, you know, uh, the conversation I had last week while you were at the beach with, uh, Steve D, you know, we were talking about a little bit. We got into at one point about RPG design as art and, and so on. And I don't want to call someone's art bad because I think art is as much the process of creation as it is the, the finished product. However, you know, an RPG is a weird thing because it's both a product to look at and a tool to be used. Okay. And this Mm -hmm. is where I've talked about like certain, okay, going to go down a little bit of a rabbit hole here, but this is us. So, and I know Steve, you'll get these references. It's like the difference between a motorcycle built by the late Indian Larry or say Arlen Ness or Ron Finch. And mm-hmm. Ron Finch is a little more of an obscure reference. Arlen's stuff. Tight, clean. Well, at least Arlen Ness was always clean lines and smooth body work. And Indian Larry was always about the twisted steel and. Did I lose you? Steve. Oh, sh- uh, interruption here, folks. Um, might be a part two to this episode as Steve just lost power. Uns- I'm going to unsummon the robots. Oh, there he dropped. All right. Let me unsummon the robots. Hey, folks, uh, small technical difficulties there. Uh, well, major, actually. Steve lost power uh, for the last couple hours of recording that episode. So here we are a couple days later, <laughs> finishing that episode out. Uh, uh, you thought we were scatterbrained in real time. Oh, yeah, <laughs> man. We just days have passed. Sometimes I, I, you know, I joke about this, but sometimes I have to listen to the podcast to understand what I was saying. Like, I will legitimately forget what I said on the podcast. I'll go back and listen to it and be like, oh, I did say that. So speaking of, oh, you did say that you were going to continue on the road with your motorcycle analogy. Right. And and this was in reference to game design and art and whatnot. And what I was referencing is three motorcycle, pretty legendary custom motorcycle builders, Indian Larry, Arlen Ness, and Ron Finch. And for those of you who aren't familiar with them, Google them, you'll call up plenty of references and you'll understand some of where I'm going with this. Indian Larry's design style was very stripped down, minimalist just things that did things, just things you needed. And then if you put stuff somewhere, you know, put it where you can get to it. Like he used to relocate the oil filter to a much easier to access place. Mm -hmm. You know, he would do stuff where he would 
like kind of one of his signature things was he used to do a twisted square stock for the down tube of the frame. It was ornamental, but it was still functional. Everything on an Indian Larry bike pretty much had a purpose. Okay. You go to Arlen Ness. Arlen Ness was really all about clean, smooth lines, very sleek. A lot of stuff was hidden, but it was still at its core. It was a motorcycle that was smoothed out, right? It made all sleek. Yeah. Ness, Ness always made bikes that, man, they look like they've come out of the future. Yeah. And then you have someone like Ron Finch, who is probably a little more obscure, but I view Ron as someone who is an artist that works in motorcycles, mm-hmm. where I think like with, with Indian Larry, definitely, and a lot of Arlen stuff, they're st- still very much a motorcycle first. Ron Finch went, okay, I got two wheels and a motor, and the rest of it I'm making up on the fly. <clears throat> you know, he did a lot of just very different stuff. Some of it, you know, very ornamental. Some of it... Well, technically you could ride it. I don't know how, how well it would hold up for long periods of time as far as structure, just because oh, of the way I've he did seen Ron Finch bikes. I had to look that up. I had to look that name up. I've seen his bikes, but you know what I mean? Like it's a lot it's, of his stuff don't have gas tanks. It's weird. Well, it does, but it's like under the seat. And yeah. Weird it's not places a traditional and, place. And look, okay. To take this to game design, it's like Indian Larry is almost kind of like elegant osr you know it's just the basics you know here's what you need and the rest of it you can do yourself arlen ness is much more in the kind of modern traditional design where it's all smoothed out and cleaned out and a lot of the weird funky bits are kind of all hit and then ron fitch is just like well yeah here's some stuff and and where i was going with that was it maybe that's what was happening with the design of this with the design of this marvel rpg is that he was just trying to go look at all the fiddly cool things I can do with mechanics. Yeah. I don't think that's a good choice, but that's my opinion. That's not, you know what I mean? Like a short for actually talking with them. I I don't know what the plan with this was, but what I'll say to that is why would you do that with Marvel? Like I understand. And I understand the same logic behind it is like the same thing that goes into motorcycles. Why would you do that with an old pan head? Why would you do that with a, you know, whatever, but no, why would you do it with literally the most popular franchise out there? Right. Like I'm, I'm all for someone designing their, what do you want to say? Their, their Mona Lisa of RPGs, you know, but it strikes me as odd that it would be done on a property that big. Yeah. I, I don't get it. And what I'll say is, is, and I've read a little bit more and I really, like I said, would love to talk to the guy to find out what the design thought process is and, and to pick their brain. But look, I, I read some, I read a couple interviews, uh, one made one from comicbooks.com, and it sounds like, and I'll say this with, because it's hot takes. It sounds like the designers out of touch with the community. I, I, I don't know how else to put it because there were things said in that interview, like, look, you're, you've been playing RPGs for what, 30 years now. Give or take, yeah. Uh, you can tell the difference between a crunchy game and a not-so-crunchy game, right? And uh, granted, that's subjective, but it to a degree, it's not, right? Yes and no. Like, you can tell when, like, Cyberpunk, or not Cyberpunk, when Shadowrun's crunchy and D&D is less crunchy, but it's still on the same side, right? Yeah. This, the 
designer had stated that he can't tell. He thinks that the community wants more crunchy games, which I don't agree with at all. I think you see in the products that are being put out, the products that are selling really well, especially in the things that are not Dungeons and Dragons, people are really getting away from crunchy games. And I could be wrong. And I mean, our community can correct me on that, but it seems like with the games that are popular currently, we're looking at a more streamlined, cleaned up system. That certainly seems to be the trend. Yeah, and and that's what people are making, and that's what people are buying, because if they weren't buying it, I don't think people would be making it. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not saying that to be like, you know, put down on anybody, but it's very much, if people didn't buy not-so-crunchy games, stuff like Tales from the Loop is one of the biggest, you know, Tales from the Loop is an any award winner and one of the biggest selling RPGs in a long time, and it's about as streamlined as you can get. Yeah, but it's still much more a traditional design than like a Powered by the Apocalypse. Right. But Powered by the Apocalypse is what powers the Avatar game, which reset the RPG Kickstarter record by like four or 500%. Yeah, and let's get something straight. Morkborg, which is a critical success and an absolute darling of a game, entire gameplay rule set is two pages. Yeah. Like, if you printed it right, it could be a page front and back. I think there actually is, like, a, a a cheat sheet page or something in the book that is literally, it's just a, a spread. Yes. That's yeah. it. And it's That's... not even a, a, a what we consider a normal-sized RPG book. No, it's a it's a odd-sized book. and like a the 7 same... by 9 or something. Yeah, the same can be said for Cyborg, another critical darling. I don't agree with that statement, and I think it says, that statement in particular says a lot to me that the creator's sort of out of touch. Well, but I wonder too, you know, you say the community, but is it the community at large? Well, the other thing that irritated me is that when we refer to RPGs and the people that play them and the people that consume RPGs, we don't refer to them as the market. We refer to them as the community because that's what we want it to be. And in the interview, he constantly referred to the people that buy and play RPGs as, well, the market shows. Well, that's, again, outdated terminology that, you know, it it may be true inside of the company that you use the term the market. But when referring and talking in interviews, everybody calls it the community because that's what we want. We want a community. Okay. So just a question that, that crossed my mind. Do you think perhaps it's corporate meddling, pushing in a given direction by someone or a committee of someone's that don't understand RPGs? It could be, but at the same time, the last RPG he put out was Dusters and Dragons. Mm -hmm. Or not Dusters and Dragons. What what was it? It was, um, hold on. Well, I think that was largely his son, but he was involved with it. Shotguns and Sorcery. That's it. I'm sorry. Um shotguns and sorcery if that is his son his name is the number one name on that book Mm -hmm. so or maybe the 5e conversion was more his son i know his son was heavily involved in the latest release of it i don't know it could be that his son was part of the 5e conversion the shotguns and sorcery that was released in 2020 was has his name and rob schwab's name slapped on top of it and it was put out for cypher system okay so Again, I don't know. I I just think that, like I said, I don't it, know Cypher really, but my understanding is it's not 
you know, it is a traditional system in a lot of ways, but not super crunchy. Yeah. That's why I'm confused on, I just don't understand. I don't know. I guess I don't understand. And maybe it's, it's like I said, maybe I just need to sit down and talk to the person, but the game feels wrong in a lot of ways. Yeah. From the quick start rules, it, 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 and I've been looking for a superhero game because for some reason I want to mess with it. And, and like, I've got a lot of good options out there. Don't get me wrong. There's mutants and masterminds. There's, you know, lots of icons and Savage Worlds has super stuff. And I think that would do it really well. You know, there's some stuff for Genesis, including one that dropped like two days ago. And, you know, there's all kinds of stuff out there. So I don't know. I think some of it too, is that I don't have the background with comic books and stuff that a lot of people do. So I don't entirely know what I want as far as, does the system make me feel this way or that way? I just know I don't want to play something that's going to require tons and tons of stat checking and this and that. I really want to more focus on doing the fun thing. Telling the story, doing the fun thing. Yeah, I trust me. We've been playing Mutant City Blues, and I have issues with that. But my issues with it are, well, A, I don't know how the second edition is because we've been playing the first edition. Because that's what we both have. Mm -hmm. B, my issues with it are not the like lore and stuff around that. And I really think that that's a really fun game if some things were changed. And like I said, I don't know if those things were changed in the second edition. And I could actually get into that now if you, if you don't mind. Can if you want, sure. So the idea of Mutant City Blues is that at some point, 10 years into the future, well, at some point now everybody got mutant powers that are going to get mutant powers. There was a spontaneous mutant event and the game takes place 10 years into the future after a police force is set up specifically for investigating into crimes re revolving around people with mutant powers. Mm -hmm. um, you can play it as a supers game. You could play it as a not supers game. You can tailor it to what you want. And even the book says that, you know, here's everything you need to know to tailor it to what you want. It's Gumshoe. It's actually really nice. I've never played Gumshoe Engine before, and I like it. I I do. I don't know that it's it's my favorite system in the world, but definitely would play it again. Yeah, it's got a little. It's got weird things here and there, but every everything does. Yeah. My problem with it is is that, and this is a big problem for me, is that it it lumps it lumps mental illnesses in and calls them. What what's the actual terminology? I think it's the, the term used is defect. Defect, which is gross. I'm sorry, it just is. Yeah. And and it lumps them in with the mutant powers, which it's like, no, please don't do that. But that could easily be like it would take me all of two seconds to take that out of the you know what I mean? Yeah, well, I understand it from a mechanical standpoint, but yeah. I get exactly your objection, especially with them being called defects. Yeah, I think my biggest problem, A, yes, calling them defects is gross, but B, you could have picked mental illnesses like one of them is a god complex. Okay, that's fine. Like, that's not a common, you know what I mean? But another one listed is like autism, and that's not okay. Or ADHD. Like, these are common mental illnesses that like to sit and be like, well, they're defects. No, I'm sorry, as somebody that lives with ADHD, that's not a way I want to look at that, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I can only imagine what that would be like for somebody with autism or with 
obsessive compulsive disorder or any of the other, you know, mental illnesses that it lists there. Yeah. And, and that's a, that's a bit of a problem I have with it is that I just, I don't like, I don't like that it does that. But like I said, I don't know if the second edition maybe fixes that and they changed it. And if it doesn't, that could be easily corrected. Yeah. Well, and from a mechanical standpoint, I understand why they put them there because they wanted it both, I think, as a hint, you know, as maybe a clue to, okay, this person, you know, because of the way the Quaid diagram works, which is a in-world document that explains related powers and so forth. Right. And I think they also did it to a certain point, maybe as a balance thing and a role-playing slash story tool. I just don't think it was handled the best way it could have been. No, I don't. I agree with you. I think that I understand the mentality coming from it of like, oh, well, we need to put, you can't just be super powered. We need to put some sort of weakness in, but you could have gone any direction and it, it should have been more like, I don't know, like almost like, um, and I, I don't mean this is a dig at anybody. If you have severe food allergies, I understand it's a thing, but, and it's, a, it's a, you know, can be a very dangerous situation, but almost like a food allergy. You know what I mean? Like you, you could have gone in a direction where rather than going with like autism or ADHD or anything like that, you could have gone with like, oh, you know, you're adverse to, you're adverse to direct eye contact or you're, you know, just, you could have gone in a, a number of different directions that were not named mental illnesses. That's fair. Yeah. And look, I mean, I don't know what year that originally came out. I want to say 20, I want to say 2012. That sounds reasonable. Let me see. Just looking. Um, it was designed in 2009. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. But yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it was a while ago, but still not. I don't know. I, I don't think the awareness was as high then. Not saying that that means it's okay, but. I agree with that. 2009 was a long time ago at this point, but that's a weird statement to say, isn't it? Well. <laughs> uh, well, do you have any more to say on, do you have any more hot takes? I don't know. I'm not even entirely sure what a hot take is. Um, I don't know. It was just sort of us ranting about things that have been bugging us. Yeah, well, that's that's exactly what a hot take is. A hot take is a thing that can upset some people and you just have this opinion and you need to get it out there because sometimes I have an opinion that could, you know, sometimes it's good to just get our opinions out there because <laughs> we do a lot of, you know, I've heard a lot of people, I've talked to a couple people on the, that listen to the podcast and they're like, well, what do you actually think about this? I'm like, well, you know, I guess I didn't make it really clear. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, and part of that is us, you know, look, we're, we're very explicitly, we don't want to yuck anybody's yum. We're, we're sitting here. We just, you know, you like a thing. I don't like a thing. All right. That's cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like sometimes stuff like the Marvel RPG. I want to know why, you know, why do you like this thing? Yeah. I mean, like, look, I, I just not even from personal taste, but given what I see people talking about, I don't understand the choices. Yeah. I right, trust me. <laughs> I, I understand where you're coming from because I'm in the same boat. I sat there and read the interviews and I'm like, I, I don't understand how you got. It's like somebody sat down across from you, looked you in the eye and went. Um, so two plus two equals five. And I'm not going to defend that statement. Like, 
how did you get there? Nope. Not going to talk about it. <laughs> two plus two equals five. That's it. I'm like, but you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. So, so I don't know if it's a hot take, but I want to take a minute. And it, in between times of, of us trying to record the first half of this and us recording tonight, we actually played a session of Mutant City Blues. <laughs> and here's what I want to say. I don't think Mutant City Blues, on a lot of cases, doesn't require dice rolls so much as it'll require a point spend. Right. But I think we had two point spends and no dice rolls the entire session. And it was absolutely amazing. Like, we didn't use the dice we didn't roll things there were some well okay i can use it but we were just playing the world not the character sheets and it was so such a neat experience not that it's never happened before but it wasn't i want to do this i'll make a check it was Mm -hmm. just i'm going to do this okay so this happens and then this person's doing that you know and the other thing is i was thinking about it a little bit today like on my drive home from work whatever how in some ways it was weird playing that game because you're playing competent investigators. So these are reasonably intelligent, analytical characters. Mm -hmm. And it struck me as how unusual that is compared to how a lot of us play characters in a lot of games. Yeah. How many times have you started a character that is just not the expert on this? And how often do you play into that constantly? Yeah. Yeah, no, and and that's why see that's why I don't cuz I'm running the Mutant City Blues game and that's why sometimes you guys are like, "Well, I could roll." I'm like, "You don't need to roll. You if you noticed it already, you don't need to roll cuz you're experts. You you know what you need to do. The only time I'm going to make you roll dice or spend points is if it is absolutely imperative or is something that is completely opposite of what I expect you to do. No, and that's and I know we did a whole episode a while back about, you know, put the dice down and step away or whatever, but it was just such a, and also that, you know, because of the nature of the characters, it's like, well, you can kind of put away that, well, would the character come up with this theory sort of, yeah, put away that, am I being meta aspect of it, which is, I think is actually a kind of a neat function of that design in that, you know, that Quaid diagram it's a public document. Yeah, it's it's an in-world document as well as part of the character generation and in whatever. Yeah, and it it's clever and it's it's weird but it it actually works and I think the game would not be nearly as engaging without it. Well, I feel that and and I'll say this a little bit, I don't make you guys roll a lot of checks. And no. I don't make you spend points a lot of times when the book might say that you need to spend points. And the reason that is, and the reason I don't make you roll a lot of checks is because I don't feel it's necessary. And again, it goes back to the idea that you are competent. You you are competent investigators who were hired to do this job. Mm-hmm. And it's not a, you, it's not your first day on the job, or at least your character's it wasn't your first day on the job. When I set up the story, I told you guys, you've been doing this for a while, make characters around that idea. Mm-hmm. And the book sort of does that conceit as well, where most characters that are made are not, it's not like they were hired yesterday and this is, you know, they're just straight out of school. But like I said, because I've had like years of, well, we've been doing the podcast for coming up on, 
well, we've been one year. We're coming up on two years at this point. Yeah. And we've talked a lot about don't roll dice when it's not necessary. Don't, you know, don't make your players waste time. If they're having a hard time with a puzzle, just give them the clues they need because they would find the clues anyways. Don't waste the player's time. You know, we've we've talked about stuff like that. You know, put NPCs in their lap that they need to talk to. And especially in Mutant City Blues, it's... And it's, you were right to recommend it for me to run it because that's how my brain works. I was describing it. I was describing not the most recent investigation, but the last investigation of my girlfriend. And she's like, that's twisted. She's like, but I could see that happening on like an episode of Criminal Minds or NCIS. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, that's that's the whole point is that it's it's twisted, but it could absolutely happen on like NCIS or Criminal Minds or you know, any of those police procedural dramas. But the thing of it is, is that putting obstacles in the way of the players and then is is one thing. Putting clues in front of the players in an investigation game is a completely different thing, right? Yeah, well, you have to have them. Right. And if the players can figure out the clues that they're given, I don't see it necessary. Like if they're if they're presented with a situation like you were in the last session, right? Mm-hmm. You showed up to a parking lot. You asked the right questions. I presented the clues that were in the parking lot, and you were able to draw the draw a conclusion of what was going on. Mm-hmm. That's good enough. You don't need. To, they don't need to find the exact answer. They just need to be able to draw a conclusion to get them to move to the next scene. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where a lot of people get tripped up when they're trying to do investigations or, or stories where players are investigating into things is that they make the mistake of they think that they have to find these specific clues. It has to be this particular thing. They can't miss this thing. If they miss it, the, the whole investigation is going to screech to a halt. Meanwhile, if you watch like actual police dramas... There's a lot of times where you'll hear a story of like, well, we investigated and then we didn't see this one thing. We did a little bit more investigating, found the thing we were looking for. Like they went back later and started looking again. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's not necessarily this. They have to find everything the first time. Maybe they find a clue to the next, you know, maybe... Maybe you find a business card laying on the ground and that's the next NPC that you talk to. And that puts you then in a different mindset, right? Mm -hmm. It's just, that's what you have to remember. And then the not rolling dice thing, again, that's just because you guys are, you're professionals. There's no reason to. Yeah. Well, I think for me, it was also like, I realized that like, Hey, wait a minute. I don't have to put away crazy Steve brain to play this. Yeah. (laughs) you know what i mean like you you can just think like you would and i think part of that too though is that it's because it's a setting that's set in a a near modern time yeah like relatively 10 years in the future yeah things a lot of things can change but it's not too far ahead in the future that you have to suspend your disbelief and simultaneously it's not fantasy where you have to throw your entire notion of modern society out the window right and i think that's another thing that anybody who has a general understanding of modern society and modern living 
can wrap their head around doing this investigation game and still have a really good time doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, yeah, I, I just, you know, I thoroughly enjoyed session we played last night and, uh, unfortunately the game's going to be wrapping up due to various circumstances, but well, it's actually perfect. It, we played six sessions. You've, you've done three investigations. Each investigation was two sessions. And I said, when we initially started that campaign that I want to do this in four to six sessions and we're next session is the sixth session and that's it. Yeah. It is exact timing, which is actually something that the whole point, like granted, I knew I could run the game and I had a rough story planned out for it, but the whole point of it was to, to work on my pacing Mm -hmm. and coming out of this campaign, my pacing is just about dead on. Cool. Because, and we've talked about this a little bit. I have no experience running a con game. I need to get experience running games that keep to a tight schedule. Now, granted, not this last session, but the session before we did play long, but that was just because we were wrapping up just various loose ends. Yeah. And we went like, what, 15, 20 minutes over. Yeah. And all of that could be just, well, you know, you rest her and throw her in the back of the paddy wagon and you're done. Right. Yeah. Like you move on to the next investigation. You've gathered enough clues to to move on. You just don't know all the details to the full investigation. Yeah. And granted, that's a little unsatisfying, but it's also. But that's acceptable in the end of con game, too. Right. I think. Well, and that's that's also an unacceptable thing in a, a police procedural. Right. Yeah. Like how many episodes of Criminal Minds do you watch? And it just it ends with the guy getting arrested. Well, now you don't know anything really, you know. Yeah. But yeah, the the whole point of this campaign was for me to work on my pacing. And I have my pacing down to almost a science to the point at which when we ended last night, I had a player do a thing that I was half expecting them to do. And I was able to end it on a cliffhanger as they did their thing. Yep. Yeah, that was a really good ending for the session, too. Yeah, it was. But, you know, and, and that's one of those things. And then, you know, I I just, I think it's funny sometimes that I've talked about it, and I'll say it again, one of the best things you can do as a GM is learn how to GM out of your butt. <laughs> if you can learn how to roll with the punches, I that entire session, entire session, like I had a rough idea, I knew a couple of the players. And then I was like, I have no idea what I'm going to do with this. And then I sat down, I did a a, a half-assed briefing in the morning. You guys started doing your work and I was like, okay, I know where this is going now. Well, I think some of it too, the clues you leave, and you can tell me if I'm just going off down a harebrained trail here or whatever, but the clues you need to leave us need to be keyed to how we're investigating it. What do you mean? Like if you put, all the clues in spaces X, Y, and Z, but we investigate spaces T, R, and S that we make a connection to, we're bored and you're bored. Yeah. If I if I don't if I don't take my clues and move them to where you guys are going, I, I have nothing. Like right. I created a whole NPC just for that just for that session because yeah, I had planned on having a couple of these NPCs. But the one NPC I had to create for that session because you guys weren't going where the clues needed to be. Mm -hmm. And I had a feeling that you guys were going to try and look into something that was going to be a bit of a 
as far as that leg of the investigation was going to be a dead end. Mm -hmm. But you don't know that until we're doing it. Right. Exactly. I don't know that you guys are going to take a wrong turn in Albuquerque until you make the wrong turn in Albuquerque, in which case then I have to either put somebody in Albuquerque that says, hey, no, go to Austin, or I then have to move the thing I was planning in Austin to Albuquerque. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you talk about, you know, uh, bullet points, different gun. Sometimes it's literally just moving the target and going, no, you're pointing the gun in the wrong direction. <laughs> yeah. No. And, I, I, yeah. Same thing. Sort of. Yeah. Sort of that. The, the, the woman that I introduced in the parking lot scene, mm -hmm. there was a reason why, like I, there was a, there was a reason for that. Right. Mm -hmm. It's because you guys were, you were looking at all the clues laid out in front of you, but not putting two and two together. Right. And you needed somebody to step in and be like, Hey, um, doesn't two plus two equal four? Well, to a certain point, you gave us the same clue again. Yes. But it then made the crazy theory seem slightly more plausible. Right. And the other thing was, is that the, the other reason I gave you the same clue again is because part of that clue was me rooting in it in you not having meta knowledge of how that actually worked. And yeah. one of the players coming out and being like, well, you know, I used to work for that company. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like the very opening of the campaign. We're talking about this building that you used to work at. I, well, sort of, I worked for a company that did a major renovation in that building. So I've been inside the building and we were talking about in the campaign and you're talking about holes getting blown into walls. And I'm going, I've been in that building. I know the basement walls are two feet thick concrete that's hard as hell mm -hmm. <laughs> and i'm not joking by the way no i i don't doubt it it but that was one of those things that that was reaffirming what happened with the having to give you another clue that was basically the same clue was i was gonna use lojack and i was expecting you guys to use lojack and then one of the players went you know i used to work for lojack back in the day <laughs> like well you can't use lojack now i guess it's fine my iphone <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but it was, it gave us the same information by a different path, which meant, at least in my head, that meant, okay, so it's this somehow. Yes. Yeah, no, and, and I'm I'm not, like, granted, we have a whole other session to play, so I'm not giving you any clues on what's going on. Right. But, yeah, you guys, you guys are headed down the right path. I just want to know, I'm curious to know for myself if you've picked up something that I wasn't accounting for, <laughs> because, and this is another funny thing you guys in that, in that second session during the second investigation. So the, the first session during the second investigation, mm -hmm. which was our, our third session played. Sorry. I said second session, but our third session played. you guys walked away with an opinion of a NPC that I didn't intend for you to draw. <laughs> You walked away from a, a club scene with an opinion of an NPC that, oh man, he was kind of a jerk, except I, I wasn't trying to make him kind of a jerk. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and I thought that was funny. I was just like, well, that, well I guess, yeah, he, sure, he's kind of a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I mean, that happens, you know, that's like, well, we were talking, you know, only because 
you know, I listened to it earlier this week when we dropped it, but the episode with Amber where we were talking about making NPCs and you intend them to be a throwaway NPC and your players latch onto them or vice versa. And that's yeah. an example of it. Yeah, that is. But yeah, it was just, man, I love that game, but I have my issues with it. And that's, that's proof that I can love a game and also simultaneously have problems. Yeah. And I think that's fair, but You're right. with, all that being said, have we made enough hot take soup? I think we have. I think okay. it's finally time we get into game of the week. Woohoo! Game of the week. Game of the week. Game of the week. All right. I still have my game of the week. I can go first if you would like. All right. You go ahead and go first, then, Mr. Steve. I don't know if I've talked about this before. I don't believe I have. I I could have. It's possible. I have a game that rolled across in front of me, and I was like, wow, that sounds really cool. Uh-huh. It's called Orbital Blues. I don't know if I used it or you used it, or I remember seeing it, but back at, we can talk about it again. Yeah, Orbital Blues, it's a space western RPG. This is the rock and roll future of yesteryear that never was and nobody wanted. Uh, the cover art is a old, worn-down traveler's motel that says Orbital Blues, a space Western RPG. And Mm -hmm. man, it just makes me want to play a space trucker RPG on a different planet. Like I just want to play like a, like a Smokey and the Bandit style RPG on Zarnoth (laughs) seven, where like, you know, the cops are UNT style creatures. And like, you know, you're, you're transporting illicit substances across Across just this highway. Yeah, well, it says right in the description, it's designed for playing stuff along the lines of Cowboy Bebop, Firefly, or Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, yeah. But you I know. still, I still, like I said, I want to play like like a Smokey and the Bandit style campaign on, on a distant alien planet and just see what fun that could be. No, I, I've heard some decent things about this. I haven't picked it up yet, but. I mean, it's not a bad price. No. 1656 for the pdf definitely looking at it to pick it up because it seems kind of cool mm-hmm. it does it does and then they have an art book as well that they called wayward stars so i mean that could be cool too yeah Take a look at the art book some cool stuff in it oh there's um, a quick start too oh yeah there is so but yeah that's orbital blues something to check out yeah all right so if you're done I shall I present done. mine. All <laughs> right. Mine this week is a game called Diesel. Diesel. Which is described as an action TTRPG at the edge of reality. What this is is kind of a mecha cyberpunk weird west. So it's a high octane game of cinematic action wrapped around an emotional core. Oh, inspired okay. by Mad Max and Firefly. Wild West meets cyberpunk setting. Um, So it's, it's diesel punk. Yeah. Yeah, all right. I could be down for a diesel punk game. I like yeah. diesel punk as a setting. You know, it, it it just looks looks interesting, and the kind of you know sort of post apocalyptic vibe to it is right up my alley. You yeah. know, it says this is a game designed for cranking up the electric guitar, sliding across the hood of your rusty rocket powered car, and ramping over an explosion. So there you go. Yeah, you can get behind that. You know, it's it's almost. It fits perfectly almost with Orbital Blues as far as themes, I think. Yeah. And that yeah. wasn't at all intended, folks. <laughs> no, we didn't know what each other was going to 
And they also, there's a link for it in the description. There is a free quick play version. Cool. So again, that's called Diesel. Uh, it's, well, it's 20 bucks for the PDF. But yeah, you know, there'll be links for that in the show notes, like with everything else. Yeah. And I think with all that being said, I want to thank everybody for listening. As always, links to everything are in the show notes, including links to the con will be out in October. And again, that is the Pittsburgh Gaming Expo. You can find that at www.pghretrogaming.com. And that will be uh, October 1st and 2nd at the Monroeville Convention Center. So definitely check that out. Uh, if you're in the Pittsburgh or Pittsburgh surrounding areas, or you're willing to drive to Pittsburgh, because I know some of you are crazy enough to make that trek, you want to meet us in person, come on out. Yeah, and that's all of like 10 minutes from the turnpike ramps. Right, exactly. It's easy to get to. There's The con has a deal with the, the double tree there, which I'll probably be exploiting. Uh, yeah, it's, it's you know, reasonable prices, really cool con. So far, some really cool music has been announced to be playing. Uh, they have a, a Pittsburgh-based Rush cover band, which looks awesome. But I like me some Rush, so I'm I do too. About that and one. Yeah, I I can get behind it. But uh, yeah, with all that being said, you know, like I said, links to everything in the show notes. As always, be kind to one another and get out there and play some RPGs. Yep. Take care, y'all. Intro and outro music by the band 12 Noon. You can email us at meandsteverpg at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter and RPGs. Find us on Facebook at Me and Steve RPG Podcast. On Discord at Me and Steve RPGs. And as always, all of these links are in the show notes. Thank you and be kind to one another. Cigar. Cigar, 20 bucks, dog. You got to go down the street to the store and buy that. <laughs> no, that's because I can't read. Oh, okay. Well, you know, it's a great thing to, you know, to, to, to learn after you're this deep into an RPG hobby. Right? <laughs> Doesn't feel as long for me as it might for you. Yeah. Nineteen ninety three was a long time ago, wasn't it? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> hey Steve, I'm gonna be twenty nine this year. Yeah. Just look, okay. you know. Look, my beard is almost <laughs> older than you. <laughs> You can find that at www.pittsburghgamingexpo or Pittsburgh Gaming. Or, I'm sorry. Let me try that again. Cut that, reverse it, edit it, take it out. <laughs> okay.